For this, our 10th season, we will focus on telling true stories about the men and women we have come to know over 28 years of recovery. Each episode will tell the story of what life was like as an addicted or alcoholic person, what happened to wake that person up, and what is life like today. Not all stories are ones of success. Some of our friends didn't make it as they relapsed and so far have not come in from the cold. Some died in circumstances that had nothing to do with their disease. Others had a rough start, but they persevered and now enjoy a full and productive life. Some are old guys like me, and others are relative youngsters who serve as great examples to other younger addicts. Our stories describe addicts and alcoholics of many different cultures, a range of socioeconomic status, different generations, gender types, and sexual preferences, if they're relevant to their story. I like to say that addiction and alcoholism are equal opportunity predators. They don't discriminate. And you will see how the stories we share about our friends will prove the truth of that statement. This is Season 10, Episode 10. It's late in the year for Julie, but it's really spelled July, J-U-L-Y. I asked Julie why she spelled her name like that, yet pronounced it as Julie. Just what my mom thought would be different, and a conversation started. starter, she answered. I met Julie when she was a resident at the Sober Living House, where I served as the house coordinator, that is, as a live-in manager. Now that I remember it, it was a great deal for me. I lucked into the job after a fellow in one of my group therapy sessions said that he was leaving the job after falling in love with one of the residents, and they were leaving to be together. How nice. All I had to do was make sure the residents were observing a few simple rules and made it back to the house every night. Most of the residents had jobs or school anyway. It was a co-ed facility, so that in itself presented the occasional complications such as sex in the house, which was not allowed. Now some clever residents took that rule to mean sex on the back porch was okay. Julie was one of those caught in the act quite literally one fine morning when she and her itinerant lover thought no one was home at the time. But I had the day off from work and decided to investigate what all the moaning and sighing and noise was all about. There was nowhere to hide. No explanations possible other than they were screwing in the main bedroom in the bright sunlit morning of the day. Okay, Julie, you know the rules, I said as she put herself back together. She got one pass, and that was it. This was her one pass, and it was a big one. I ran a two-strike house. The first time, maybe you didn't know better, and the second time, you knew better, but you did it anyway. So that makes it two strikes, and you're out. Julie was one of the most out-and-out brilliant people I had ever met. She was not only that, she was a striking beauty with black wavy hair to her shoulders and a flawless complexion. At an athletic build, and you had an exceptional woman. Blue-green eyes, too. But, as with many exceptional people, she had a dangerous alcoholic flaw. In her case, it showed showed up by her drinking mouthwash, which typically contains a high percentage of alcohol. She thought that she could get away with it, since she believed that the smell of Listerine could overpower the smell of alcohol. Apparently, she got away with it at work, where she held off during the working hours. Alcoholics are capable of that. I know, because I did that for several years before I hit bottom. I wouldn't drink during the day but I sure hit it at 5.01 p.m. So we caught Julie drinking Listerine again and gave her yet another chance. 
She worked in the travel industry, which is an extraordinarily competitive and fast-moving business. She was building a new economic model for her company's airline partners and seemed to have cracked a code on pricing strategy. Yeah, she was that smart. She got the idea one day that she'd not, she didn't need all this recovery bull crap and would be fine on her own. So she just up and left not long after her declaration of defiance, I call it. A few months later, her mom called me. I had befriended Julie's mom during her daughter's admission into the facility and all through the various adventures and torture Julie put her mom through. Apparently, Julie had had an affair with a high-ranking man at the company, at her company, and then decided his wife should also know about it. How many ways can you spell idiotic? So, of course, she was fired with zero notice and had to pack her stuff and get out the same hour. Talk about causing pain for the man, his wife, and who knows who. Julie's mom wanted to know if, she could, if we could cooperate in an intervention. I knew just enough to mimic one that had been performed on me, but I had not yet read any material on how to do one properly, so to speak. Looking back, there was so much more we could have done. But have one we did. Julie's mom and I rounded up relatives, close friends, and even an ex-colleague who was an enlightened soul willing to help. You might have seen the TV shows where the subject is deceived into believing he or she is going to some sort of gathering or small party or whatever. The door opens and voila! Here's a room with people Julie recognizes immediately and says, Uh-oh, I know what this is all about. But she didn't run away and she listened because we all came at it with love for Julie. That's why the book, I call it the book on intervention, is called Love First, authored by Deborah and Jeff Jay. The book makes a simple premise in that an addict can deny almost anything except for one thing, with rare exception, that his family and close friends love her. An expression of love and caring are one of the few things that can break through the defiance and the denial. The intervention requires dedication by a small team of people close to the addict or alcoholic to plan, to bring people together, to rehearse, and then to activate the plan, including arranging arranging for that person to enter treatment that very day, including plane tickets if necessary. The critical element is that all involved be on the same page. Each person reads the book Love First, which is subtitled A Family's Guide to Intervention. Each person writes and reads a love letter to the subject of the intervention stating how much that person is loved, how his or her addiction has affected the relationship, and what harm has been done by her disease and what they wish for that would make things better for the loved one. Here comes a critical part. Each person states that they will no longer do or enable the addict to do and what choices the addict now faces, which is being cut off from family support for the disease or going into treatment today. Here are your choices. That's what we did for Julie that one afternoon. I do not remember the pretext that we used to get her to the so-called gathering, but she listened intently and acknowledge her mother's courage in expressing her feelings so openly with others present who may have never really known the pain that her mother experienced until that moment. I should point out that it wasn't necessary to read the full love letter in rehearsal so long as the ground rules were known in advance, and some people just don't want to do that. 
Julia acknowledged what she heard and was genuinely moved by the expressions of love and care by her family and her closest friends. She took the offer of help to heart and agreed to go to a well-regarded residential treatment facility, which actually wasn't far away in our, in our city. The irony of all this is that the residential treatment facility was the same one that she had entered a few years earlier. So here was yet another drain on her family's resources, for they would do anything for their beautiful and talented child. But the lesson was there too. Any failure was Julie's alone. One could not blame the treatment center if the client wasn't willing to go to any length. That's like blaming the gym if you're out of shape. Julie entered treatment and stayed for 60 days at a cost of $50,000 to her family. She did well for a while, then her defiance kicked in again and she decided to get married to another addict and have a kid and off she went. So yes, the intervention was a success if one defines it as getting the addict to admit defeat and accept help. We got her to go to the gym and got her a personal trainer, as it were, but she stopped going to the gym and stopped her program of self-care. So we succeeded, but we're disappointed yet again by this amazing young woman's defiant choices. I use the word defiant because that was the one characteristic that seemed to define her attitude. And sometimes that defiance served her well. Most of the time it didn't. We do not know where Julie is now, and after we got the vague news that she had, quote, run off, her mother's pain seemed unbearable. All this after Mom had poured her heart and the best of herself and the last of her resources to save her brilliant, defiant daughter. That's just another reminder that addiction is a heartless predator. What have we learned from Julie's story? Well, number one, no one is exempt from the cunning, baffling, and powerful nature of this disorder. Intelligence and achievement are weak defenses against addictive disease. Two, it turns out that Julie, like so many other smart people, thought that she could outwit alcoholism, but found herself yet again on the losing end of this battle. Three, her defiance seemed to be fueled by her confidence that came with being successful in a very demanding job. She had a sense of uniqueness that ultimately caused her to assert that this BS is not for me. For even though we consider the intervention a success in that Julie did enter treatment, it seems her defiance caused her to take matters back into her own hands. And five addicts are heedless to the pain they cause others, for at a certain point the addiction takes over and reveals itself as a rapacious predator. It cares not about anything or anybody except defeat itself. Our podcast is sponsored by SafeHouseRehab.com, a modern approach to recovery. To learn more, visit us at SafeHouseRehab.com.